Welcome to another episode of Casting the Net with Father Dave and Rick. Today's episode is actually a continuation from episode 49, where they discuss the resurrection and the illative sense. Today they go into some detail about the logic and naturalization to certain things, the reasonableness of the resurrection. So a great conversation. I think you're going to like this one. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Father Dave Nuss, together with Father of Four, Rick Lingva. Welcome to Casting the Net. We are in search for catching the faith. Hey friends, Father Dave here once again with Rick. We are Casting the Net. We are delighted that you have taken a moment to join us for our continuing conversation. And Rick, we've been discussing, or we discussed last episode, I should say, how we might approach speaking about faith uh, to those who are not able or willing to accept a certain authority of source, Mm -hmm. whether that authority is scripture itself, whether that authority is the catechism itself. So many who would not accept a religious authority, religious documentation. Yeah. And we expounded upon uh, John Henry Newman, Cardinal Newman, this this enormous uh, gifted intellect of the 19th century, convert to the Catholic Church, who in many ways was um, passionately interested in that very question and the reasonableness of the faith and how to speak about that uh, in ways that will bring others to the faith. Mm-hmm. Um, to not be afraid of that. Mm-hmm. And a technical phrase, I guess, that we, um, we, we both discussed last time, illative sense, mm-hmm. right? That this, this idea that there is a reasonableness, uh, that there is a logic, a naturalness to some degree. Yeah. You mentioned the preamble of Aquinas. That's, I'm doing a little rehash because I'd like to, continue the conversation from last time yeah as i found it so helpful because so often even as priest right i'm rubbing elbows with with people outside of church as well as those who come to church yeah this is resurrection i kind of want to believe it i don't know if i can mm-hmm. it doesn't you know it doesn't seem the 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 tv how to do it shows. Um, there's not one on resurrection. <laughs> therefore, you know, Bill Nye hasn't done this, so therefore it can't be true. Right? right? I want to. Yeah. And how do we how do we speak about the faith in ways that are uh, both confident and constructive? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, last time we we uh, we laid out some again probabilistic arguments for the reality of the resurrection, and I say probabilistic because. The resurrection isn't something that you can prove using reason alone. I mean, we, we talked last time about the things the church does believe you can demonstrate using the natural light of human reason. Resurrection is not one of them. Yes. But we can use um, reason to, to shed some light on on the possibility of it, the probability of it. And there, there are three other points, um, historical, sociological, anthropological, that— um, I'm totally stealing here. These aren't my ideas, oh. but uh, 
I'm stealing from a... <laughs> the reservoir of the church is vast. That's, that's true. We, we all stand on the, the shoulders of giants. I don't think any you know, of us have an original idea when it comes right down true, to it. But <laughs> this comes from, a, from an Anglican um, bishop named N.T. Wright, mm. who is... He, he does some, scripture scholar. He does some really great work on scripture. Yeah. He, he writes both good scholarly works, big thick tomes, and also some more popular accessible stuff, which is equally good. But... N.T. Wright spends a lot of time on this question of, is, is the resurrection, is it realistic to believe? Is it, is it um, plausible? And he says there are th- three major points that, again, to borrow from Newman, sort of help us triangulate, sort of point us in the direction. They don't prove the resurrection. Right. But, but they increase the possibilities or the plausibility the, of its likelihood. The reasonableness of the it. The reasonableness yeah, exactly. of it. Better way to say it. Yeah. The first is... Um, First century Jewish expectations about the Messiah. Um, the first century Jews had very specific ideas about what the Messiah would be and what he wouldn't be. Mm. And primarily what he was going to do was take care of Israel's worldly um, political enemies. Mm. Jesus didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Jesus was defeated by Israel's worldly enemies. And in fact, we see we see that evidence in the scriptures themselves mm. because our Lord time and again is redirecting a perspective that's right from from an earthly monarch yeah. as messiah to that of um great liberator yeah and rescuer from from more profound spiritual powers slavery powers that are actually more deadly that's right and condemning that's right so you so know that because, was the first point yeah because because jesus didn't uh take care of the romans and the greeks and the babylonians for the israelites um a first century jewish audience uh that was being spoken to about the message of Christ would have ruled it out. Yes. Like, this, this isn't the Messiah. He's not doing what we expect him to do. Yeah. Might've acknowledged some, um, some favorable attributes, mm-hmm. but he's not, the, he's Messiah. not the Messiah. No. Got it. Um, and yet, uh, Christianity flourishes. Christianity takes off in the years yes. following Christ's death. By those who were Jewish originally. Mm-hmm. Really important point. Yeah. Um, and to right. Second point is, uh, expectations of expectations from the first century Jews of a bodily resurrection um, and what Jesus didn't offer on that score. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. The expectations for a a bodily resurrection, uh, it it wasn't something that was universally believed by Jews. Those who did believe in a a bodily resurrection thought it was going to come at the end of time for the just. And Jesus wasn't a just man. He was a blasphemer. Mm. That's one of the, one of the reasons why they killed him. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, you know, he's not living at the end of time. Clearly time is still marching on. So again, because of those expectations from first century Jews, the fact that Christianity or, or based on those expectations, the fact that Christianity didn't shrivel and die from the get go, but rather took off points to the probability of Jesus having risen from the dead Mm. and the power of God's grace, changing, um, changing minds about it. Mm. And then the last point is um, the the role of women in the story of uh, the first Easter. Oh, yes. Right? Yes, the taboo. Yeah. N.T. Wright points out that in the ancient world, or at least in among ancient Jews, testimony of women was, uh, was not possible. Inadmissible. In a court of law. Yeah. You know? And yet, who are the first on the scene uh, Easter morning? In all of the Gospels. In all the Gospels. It's women. Yeah. Now... 
we, we 21st century Americans would, would see that and we think well, that's just an uh, incredibly progressive, enlightened <laughs> editorial choice. Well, well done, gospel authors. But um, first century Jews didn't think that way. Not at all. They, just they, the opposite. Yeah, they, they would have thought that automatically disqualifies um, the story from consideration. And yet uh, Christianity takes off. So the only the only uh, realistic expl- explanation for that is that the reason why the gospel authors included that detail and why it was transmitted by the first Christians because that's what actually happened. Yeah, right. And towards that end, there are other aspects. If we if we focus on the resurrection itself, there are other aspects that depict the apostles in unfavorable light, hmm. um, mixed belief. That's right. Not not wholehearted belief, um, not just the celebrated uh, moment of Thomas himself uh, claiming that he wasn't going to believe the testimony of his own brothers. You know, the first evangelical movement yeah. moment fails uh, spectacularly. They can't. The ten who remain can't convince the one who wasn't with them. You know <laughs> that it really happened. Right. It gives me hope. That's um, right. Me but but those kind of those kind of dramatic failures. Yeah. would not be uh, present in the corpus. Yeah, they're not praiseworthy. They're not for, praiseworthy for the, at for all. The ancient, for the ancient audience. Yeah. Like, yeah, and and all of us have a way of just sort of um, polishing. That's right. Our, how we we're do. presented. We do. And if it doesn't work in the real world, we do it in the digital world, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm not proud to admit this, but I, I suppose I'm probably in the same boat as everyone else. Like, I know that for a lie to be a good lie, it's got to be believable, you know, and that that was the accusation early on, and it's still mm. the accusation today: is that Christians, you know, Christ followers were lying to cover the fact that he died, and they just came up with the story about the resurrection. But like, for a lie to work, it has to be believable, it has yeah. to be plausible. Yeah. Like, if if little David Nuss is walking to school as a twelve year old, yes, um, and he thinks, "Oh, geez, I forgot my homework," and I'll just I'll, I'll tell a story to the teacher and you know, get me out of trouble, and he gets there and. Teacher asked for asked for his homework, and he says he had just watched I don't know the, the Terminator the night before. And David, David Nuss says, "Yeah, there's, which the machine." I was not allowed to watch at twelve. Let's just be clear. Said, "Oh, I'm sorry, teacher. The machines became self aware last night, and a, a human cyborg war broke out. And luckily, I defeated them, but they destroyed my homework before I could stop them, and that's why I don't have my homework." The teacher would say. That's nonsense, you know. Yeah. You just you, you forgot it. Like you would say, it is time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, the the points that we just listed are the uh, the first century Jewish equivalent of a human cyborg war. You know, utterly, <laughs> they're, completely they're just, preposterous. They're, they're clear out in left field. Yeah. Um, and yet, the uh, the faith, the nascent faith, didn't shrivel and die. It, yes. It it, uh, it flourished. It grew yes. into yes. what what we are today. Yes. It also includes those who were, who were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ, of which there were many. Mm-hmm. Rather dying than to recant yeah. the truth. Yes. Now, notice this isn't. We're not talking about twenty-first century um, fundamentalism mm. uh, fanatics nope. who are deranged, no. who are seeking to advance political agendas and uh, military wins. Mm-hmm. There was none of that no. in the martyrdom of the Christians in the early church. No. It was solely that of integrity. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, they go singing to their deaths, you know. 
um, unimaginable, right, dispositions, that praying for the persecutors mm-hmm. as they're being tortured and killed. So uh, none of this is a, um, again, none of this is a knockdown 100% airtight argument for the resurrection. But hopefully it's, it's clear enough that if we're, if we're reasoning, reasoning probabilistically, it's a pretty good case. Yeah. That's know? right. And and again to 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 draw from Newman, uh, we we don't have a hundred percent certainty about much of anything in life. That's right. Um, at least not the most important things. Think about love. Mm. Like we we wouldn't be able to love if we demanded a hundred percent certainty from uh, the people that we love. If, if we demanded to know with with one hundred percent certainty that the people we love love us back. That's right. Like the jealous husband who demands constant proof and who hires like private detectives to tail his wife. To uh to demonstrate to himself to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his wife loves him, like we don't we don't view that sort of person as a detached, sophisticated, <laughs> critical thinker. He's a lunatic. Yes, <laughs> he's someone with with a pathological, neurotic, uh, state of uncertainty. Yes, that he needs help to 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 get out of. Yes, um, you know it, it might be putting too fine of a point on it, but those who deny the resurrection are are, are close to that. That mm-hmm. that position, you know, mm-hmm. based on based on the case that we've laid out anyway. I That's think. right. And, you know, we could take that that same example of love. We could apply it to to other attributes that are actually divine attributes. Say beauty. Why is it that some things just stir my soul? Yeah. Some music, some art, uh, favorite places. Everybody's got a favorite place. The, mm-hmm. the the question can be asked of everybody. Where would you most like to vacation, or where do you where do you find uh, great solitude and uh, peacefulness? And everybody's got a response to that. Well, why that place and not some other place? Yeah, that's that's not empirical evidence that is distilled into neurons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something greater than us individually that is at play that moves us yeah. to respond to certain stimuli mm-hmm. and not all. Yeah. I'm really glad you, you pointed that out, Father, because we, we spoke last time about uh, how the church thinks we can demonstrate with reason alone that human beings have a soul. Mm-hmm. And I think I made some remark about how we don't have time to lay out all the, the rational arguments for, well, you just, I guess we do, because you just kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the points that, um, mm-hmm. you know, Catholic and Christian philosophers make about, um, about human beings having a soul uh, appealing to reason alone is the fact that, you know, if you if you broke down our physical makeup mm. to, the, to the cellular mm. level, you're not mm. going to find, you know, appreciation for beauty, appreciation for fine art. It's it's not right. it's not in us materially. Yes, it's something immaterial. Yeah, from and where that, does that arise? Yes, yeah. and that all uh, testifies or or speaks to the the reality of an immaterial soul. Well, the love so. of a parent. Yes, to their child. That's right. Right. That's right. And a willingness. Yeah. To sacrifice even unto death mm-hmm. for a child, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing materially within you as a, as a dad in your DNA construction that is the, um, is the component part for I'm willing to, it, I'm, I must suffer. I'm mm. compelled to die. Selective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. no, that's, that's right. That's right. From where does that come? Yeah. From where does that, where does that, that love um, evolve and grow and fortify and become so astonishingly powerful that you think less about yourself and more about your child. You're vulnerable 
weak child who's not going to be returning in reciprocity Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. your benevolence. Yeah. No, it's it's the gratuity of divine grace working in our immaterial souls and, mm-hmm. and us cooperating with it. There's, mm-hmm. there's no other, no other explanation. So. Mm-hmm. so we've been discussing here, friends, you know, just different ways that we might, we, we might speak about the things that matter the most without using a lot of religious language or quoting scripture. And neither one of us are saying that's uh, unimportant <laughs> oh, no. to, to, to use the sources. And you've been listening to us, you know, how steeped we are and, and formed, we are in those sources and the advantage that the sources give to us and our yeah. familiarity with them. We also acknowledge um, the example of St. Paul, who's in the pagan culture mm-hmm. and who's using opportunities in, in pagan language and pagan practice to respond, to meet people where they're at. I, I might say I don't think it's lowering ourselves. I do think there's a situational mm. immersion yes. of being comfortable and confident that Christ is going to provide. I just um, just earlier this week, I had occasion with someone who wanted to ask me the question. <laughs> Sometimes people, hey, Father, I want to ask you a question. <laughs> someone I didn't know, so I'm thinking, okay, here's one of these traps, right? There's a trap. <laughs> where's the where's the iPhone? You know, recording this, and I'm going to get, get caught. Kind of a public event. Someone wanted to ask me uh, ask me a question. It was a fair question. It was a good question, and really a really a question about how to respond. Um, to someone who had experienced great tragedy in her mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And he was really looking for the right words, right? Oh, yeah. To which I was able to say that it's not looking for the right words. No. The response is that of love. Yeah. That you, so your, yourself, your presence. Yourself. Yeah. And I can't teach you how to care. You have to care. Yeah. And if you don't care, please stay away from that person. Mm-hmm. It won't work. Mm-hmm. So it's not a calculated strategy to devise the perfect soundbite, right? That I'm going to get my coworker at work to believe in the resurrection. Yes. I'm going to get my my brother or my sister who's been away from the church back by just a real humdinger. This this <laughs> one silver bullet is going to be the the, the you know the, the the ring to dominate them all. Stop. Mm-hmm. Um. I can love other because I'm first loved by God. Mm. And to the degree that I'm aware of that, I'll be fueled in my care and concern for others. I'll be less defensive. I'll be less agitated. I'll be less impatient Mm. because I'm more and more convicted by the love of Christ, which conquers all things, including my sin and my death. It's a great note to end on. I don't think I could. I don't think I could have said it any better. Or wrapped it up any better. Well, um, friends, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that from Rick. I thought he was going to build on that. Maybe, maybe next. Tune in next time. That'll be my, next episode. Hear my response. <laughs> oh, we are. We're blessed and we're honored to have you share in the conversation that we so deeply enjoy, which is a conversation about Christ himself and the victory that he is one for us and the delight and the meaning and the purpose that God gives to us as we continue our sojourn together across the earthly stage. And while we're doing this, we are casting the net. Friends, he's Rick and I'm Father Dave. 
a dad and a priest, together trying to become better fathers by catching Christian faith. Thanks for joining us for our conversation, and we hope that you'll connect with us next week for Casting the Net.